Hi, this is DebtWire Managing Editor Andrew Ragsley, and you're listening to episode 12 of our DebtWired series. You're about to hear Deputy Editor Reshmi Basu's conversation with Andre Wright, Executive Vice President at Standard International Group. Andre has a background in public finance and investment banking. He co-founded SIG in 1996 as a financial advisory boutique focused on the energy, infrastructure, and transportation sectors within the U.S., the Caribbean, and West Africa. With that type of expertise on the podcast, our discussion focused on the cruise line industry's survival moves during the COVID shutdown and what the comeback path looks like later in the year. Relatedly, Andre and Reshmi also dig into the economic impact on the Caribbean and the recovery potential for the region. Andre, thanks for being here today. Thank you. Andre, can you tell us about Standard International Group and about your experience in the cruise industry and financial advisory work? Yes, I'd be happy to do that. Standard International Group was founded 25 years ago with a focus on the Caribbean and selected U.S. municipal entities, as well as two countries, oil-producing countries in West Africa. Our focus in the cruise industry dates back to 25 years as well in serving as financial advisor to the government of the Virgin Islands, namely Virgin Islands Port Authority, as well as the WICO, which is the number one destination, first port of call for the Eastern Caribbean itinerary for the large cruise liners. Cruise lines such as Carnival were one of the first to tap the capital markets in 2020 at the onset of the pandemic. Why were the markets so open to the industry when essentially cruise lines were operating in a zero revenue environment? There are several reasons. Um, I'll tick off a few. One, the, the cruise line industry itself is dominated by four major players. So there's a captive market. There's, of course, there's a lot of capital market liquidity in place in a low interest rate environment that we're currently experiencing. And as I mentioned, they have limited competition. The barrier to entry is quite high. They also have pricing power. Uh, They're able to move their pricing um, to attract their customers um, at any instance with their major operating expense being fuel. They're in a low cost, high margin business overall, and the market didn't see the COVID as a long term negative impact to the cruise liners. In addition to that, um, the cruise lines are Debt in particular is held 50%, greater than 50% by large institutional investors. Um, They have no debt and currents limitations in general. Uh, The credit quality on the cruise lines are, uh, particularly Carnival in this case, is BAA1, B minus, and Fitch withdrew in 2008. And their stock price year to date is up 15%. So uh, as a senior unsecured creditor in a captive market um, and not this not being COVID, that is not being a long term instance, um, compelled a lot of institutional investors to hold on to the equity and, and get in a, enable 
the cruise lines to attract the market at slightly higher coupons than they would normally pay, um, but still they were able to have capital market access on both the debt as well as the equity side. Are investors being overly optimistic about future bookings? After all, won't the pandemic change consumer behavior and travel? The first part of your question, the answer is yes. If future bookings are seen as net bookings, which is new reservations minus cancellations, there were a lot of cancellations uh, when you're booking six to 12 months out uh, that were canceled uh, due to COVID. So those customers are coming back, those that did not redeem for refunds or were eligible to redeem for refunds. The second part of your question, as far as consumer behavior and travel, yes, to a certain degree, but cruise voyagers are often repeat customers and they're more likely to adjust to circumstances. Um, So I I believe in my opinion that there will be some change in behavior, particularly when it comes to the health and safety protocols. But there is a, a view that cruise voyagers will get back on ships and it will get back to normal within the next year or so. Can you talk about the collateral package for these deals? What are investors ultimately getting with a bond? Well, most of the most of the deals are private debt financings. Um, for for example, the Carnival has a in their debt capital structure. They have loans. Those that loan portfolio is mainly their ship finance. So they do have secured assets with the ships themselves. The other por- portion of that portfolio is for general corporate purposes. So in most cases, that's secured by a corporate guarantee, if you will. Uh, otherwise, um, investors are looking at a senior unsecured position uh, when it comes to um, the debt portion of the financing for the cruise lines. The capital structure for these operators can be very messy given the existence of multiple bank lines, both foreign and U.S.-based. How does an investor evaluate the collateral liens and equity value, given that some of these assets are set offshore? It depends on what portion of the debt stack that they're involved in, that is the investor. But debt holders will look to their fixed collateral position, along with their financial covenants, as well as any legal cross-default language. The equity holders, on the other hand, who have no collateral, will tend to look towards future earnings and the potential for growth. So far, the industry has been excluded from any U.S. federal bailouts. Why is that? Principally due to uh, the the corporations themselves are non-U.S. For example, Carnival is is a Panama-based corporation or domicile operating out of the United States. Secondly, the cruise lines are foreign flag carriers, and that means that their ships are not registered in the U.S. In addition to that, the majority of their crew are foreign nationals. Um, So it would not fall within, like an airline, it would not fall into the category of eligibility for a bailout. Historically speaking, Why have cruise operators been able to avoid bankruptcies? That is more of a legal question, but over the past 50 years, the cruise lines have been operating at significant growth levels, mainly 8% growth since 1980. 
up to 30 million passengers per year. And any of them becoming bankrupt is, bankrupt is highly unlikely, principally due to their limited risk of, of a ship capsizing. They can pass through pricing to their customers. As I mentioned before, they're in a captive market. There's a high barrier to entry. Um, it's a pretty much a welcoming operating environment. They have low cost labor. They're loosely reg regulated. And it, it is the strongest sector in the travel tourism business. The U.S. cruise industry has been dormant since March 2020. What is the economic impact for the Caribbean cruise ports? Very good question. Certain data has not come out yet as to the overall economic impact. But in our view and our experience in the region, it's severely negative. Uh, we estimate that at least 25% of the host country's GDP has been reduced as a result of this closed market since March of 2020. Each island is adopting different restrictions when it comes to reopening, with some stricter than others. How will cruise line operators address these changing restrictions? Well, the cruise line operators are required under the new CDC, U.S. CDC guidelines that each host port authority and local health agency must be a signatory with the cruise lines to re-enter the host country. So it's clear that the reopening plans are critical uh, for uh, the host countries in order to comply and to have ships disembark passengers into their ports. Norwegian Cruise Line said it plans to start cruising from U.S. ports on July 4th with fully vaccinated guests and crew. It says it will operate at 60% capacity and will increase it to 20% every 30 days. How significant is this move and what will this mean for the cruise industry? The move is significant and it's a very positive start. However, it looks as though July is no longer realistic. Uh, but that's daily news and it continues to change. Uh, originally, CDC did not give the cruise lines a defined date. This was a date that they are looking to do. They, the cruise lines, that is. Certain cruise lines are also home, beginning home porting out of the Bahamas, out of Barbados, out of St. Martin, etc. In addition to that, um, NCL, for example, most of their customer base is seniors and they were the first to be vaccinated in the U.S. So overall, we believe that this is a positive start and people are anxiously waiting to get back on board. Cruise Lines International Association, the lobbying group that represents most of the companies, wants the CDC to drop the conditional framework completely and guarantee that sailings can start by July. Do you think the Caribbean and U.S. municipal ports are ready? It really depends on the home ports the Caribbean and U.S. municipal ports jurisdiction and how they are specifically addressing their COVID reopening plans. In our opinion, the majority of them are not ready. As you will know, particularly in the Caribbean, they're dealing with a second wave, for example, in Curacao. In other places, they're constantly addressing vaccination uh, as well as testing is continued in most Caribbean ports. So overall, on a percentage basis, they're probably greater than 50% ready, but not 100% ready to take 
even 50% of a large vessel or cruise carrier uh, of passengers into their home ports. Cruise lines are making equity investments in ports. Can you talk about this and what it means to the industry? Well, the, as an aging business um, and with de- limited destinations and governments not either willing or able to expand their cruise facilities to accommodate the current ship fleet, but even the, the larger, massive 6,000 passenger uh, ship fleet, the equity investments were almost required by the cruise lines uh, in certain jurisdictions. And overall, it would just bolster the balance sheet and provide them with additional performing assets at, as I mentioned before, uh, currently a low interest rate environment, um, low risk uh, ships themselves are the collateral for those loans. Uh, the equity investments that they're making in these cruise ports enables them to have destination flexibility um, into areas or countries, ports within certain countries that they have an equity stake in. You've been working on financial advisory for Caribbean infrastructure development for decades. What are the biggest changes you have seen? In particular, the tourism travel space, it has been the increase in cruise development versus airport development. Uh, the cruise passenger is not a large average daily spend in most of the uh, Caribbean communities, uh, but they do attract a large volume of people with the hope that they will return as overnight visitors. If you were to measure the development and infrastructural development for airports versus cruises, uh, I would say cruise the cruise ports have dominated from an infrastructure standpoint over the last 10 to 15 years. And before we close, anything else you wanted to address? Not at this point. I think we've covered the, the bulk of the issues. It will be interesting to see how the CDC and the cruise lines cooperate in order to get you know, passengers back on the, the cruise ships, but also ensuring the health and safety, not only of the passengers and the crew, but the communities in which they're going to be uh, disembarking. Andre, again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much.